I've had a message burning in me for more than a week. It got snowed out last week, but thank God the time has come. Matthew chapter 12, beginning with verse 38. A very amazing piece of scripture we have here. Matthew 12, beginning with verse 38. We're going to go down to, I guess, verse 41. Here we go. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, How many of you know Jesus wasn't very nice, especially when it was religious people, and especially when they were trying to corner him and question him? The Gospels is amazing how many questions people asked Jesus, and he never answered them. Very often, he asked them another question. Very often, it seemed like he wasn't even listening to them, and he went off in a totally different direction. But he was listening not to their questions. He was listening to the Father. And so his responses to these questions are very, 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 very significant. He answered, an adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. Now, if I didn't miss something here, they just asked for a miraculous sign. Is that right? And what does he say? You're a wicked and adulterous generation. You didn't have to be a rocket scientist to put all that together. He's not being very nice to them. The sign of the prophet Jonah. You know, there's a lot of speculation and discussion about Jonah. Songs have been written about this. Plays have been done. Theologians have had a field day trying to analyze what in the world this story was about. Maybe it was a fable. Maybe it was some sort of a made-up story or an allegory and you know in our day and age people don't believe in any kind of miraculous signs or wonders so they try to explain it away with naturalistic materialistic reasoning you know what i decided many many years ago if genesis 1 is true then it's easy to believe anything else in the bible because god said let there be light and there was light How does the Bible begin? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It starts with the biggest miracle ever. He created everything. So is it hard for me to believe that a prophet can spend three days and three nights inside of a fish and live? Not hard at all. Is it hard to believe that there was a flood in the days of Noah that covered every mountain peak? Not hard to believe. If you believe in the six days of creation in Genesis chapter 1, the rest just logically follows. And notice, Jesus does not say, well, you know, you all guys remember the the allegory, the fiction story about Jonah. No, listen to what Jesus says. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish... Do you all follow that? What is Jesus saying? It really happened. As Jonah was three days, three nights, not two, not four, three days, three nights, in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Oh, wait a minute. Park there. He said Jonah not only happened, but he was a sign. 
He was a miraculous sign pointing to an even more miraculous sign. It's pretty amazing to think that a man could survive three days and three nights inside of a fish, but the Son of Man is about to spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and come back. Okay? Keep going. Here's the punchline. The men of Nineveh, and we're going to go to Jonah in a minute, and we're going to look at this story in some detail. Nineveh, of course, is the place where Jonah was called to go and preach. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment. A lot of people don't believe there's going to be a judgment. Let me just make this real clear for anyone here or anybody that might ever listen to this on the Internet. There is coming a judgment. You can pretend it isn't coming. You can pretend that everything just evolved and there's no God that I have to give an account to. Sorry, there is a God and there is a judgment. Period. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they, the people of Nineveh, they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now one greater than Jonah is here. Pay close attention to what's going on here. Jesus is surrounded by Jewish people. He's surrounded by religious leaders of the Jews. These are the chosen ones of God. These are the, the, the lineage of Abraham. These are the ones that, that know God, the ones that have had visions and dreams of God. This is the chosen people. Jesus is telling them that the heathens, the pagans from Nineveh, are going to stand up in the judgment and condemn you. You religious people, because you have your Bibles, you have your Word of God, you have your Sunday school teachings, you've got all of that, but they had none of that. But when they heard the preaching of Jonah, they responded. They repented. Wow. Well, if you're not a real good Bible student, just reading that should pique your interest enough to find out where the book of Jonah is in the Bible. And I would at least be asking one question. What did Jonah tell them? What was his preaching? He must have been a pretty good preacher because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Maybe Jesus' preaching wasn't good enough. Maybe our preaching isn't good enough. What did Jonah have to say? Well, we need to get some background, so I'll give you a minute or so to find Jonah in your Bibles. It's easier on the computer. Jonah chapter 1, he has the, the sad lot of being assigned to the minor prophets, but minor only in the sense that their books are a lot shorter than the major prophets. It in no way minimizes the impact of their ministry or their lives as we've just seen. Jonah was one of the clearest signs in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. All right, here we go. Jonah 1.1. It just starts right off. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Doesn't tell us what seminary he went to. Doesn't tell us what Bible version he was reading. It just tells us he heard from the Lord. And you know what? After all is said and done, what matters most in your life and in my life is are we hearing from the Lord? Do we have ears to hear the word of the Lord? He heard something. The word of the Lord came to him. 
saying, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now stop there. Go to Nineveh. This wasn't a part of Israel. These were not Jewish people. Go to Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now God tells the prophet, where I'm sending you, this is a great city. And historians bear this out. And we can learn even a little bit more about Nineveh if you jump very quickly to chapter 3 and verse 3. We get some more details about this place. Jonah 3.3. 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. And historians vary a little bit on this, but the estimates are it was about 50 or 60 miles around. And it took three days to travel just through the city. And we do find out at the very end of the book of Jonah that there were over 120,000 people living in this city. It's a big city. It's an important city. And the prophet Nahum, later on, he talks about all the gold, the silver, the wealth, and the treasures that were in Nineveh. So I think we can kind of put all this together and realize this was a booming metropolis. It was a very powerful, wealthy, but wicked city. And let me go back to chapter 1, verse 2 again. We live in a day and an age where people and nations, presidents, kings, leaders, they think either there is no God or he isn't really hearing me or watching what I'm doing. I got news for them. God has eyes. God has ears. God can see stuff. He sees into the darkness. He hears things that even the the wiretappers can't hear. He sees it all. He hears it all. And what does it say? Its wickedness has come up before me. And we're, we're sensing in these days a burden to pray specifically for this nation. As an American, I'm not preaching to you this morning as an American, but I happen to be someone who was born and raised in this country. I lived a number of years outside of it, but I'm back here. And having been here for over 60 years, I have watched the spiritual, the moral degradation and decay take place in a nation that was made great because of its love for God, because its leaders honored God, and so forth. And let me be very clear, the wickedness of America, just like the wickedness of many other nations in the world, it has come up before the Lord. 55 million babies have been murdered in this country in the name of abortion since Roe v. Wade became law. Can you even get that into your mind, into your heart? 55 million innocent lives that were supposed to live. God gave them life. God created them. What does Jeremiah 29, 11 say? I know the plans I have for you. God had plans for those 55 million boys and girls. I have no doubt some of them were destined to be the scientists that would find the cure for cancer, Alzheimer's, and all these other diseases that are killing us off now. We killed them. We killed them. 
We need to take blame in some of these things. There's blood on the ground crying out to God. The wickedness has come up before him. And so Jonah is sent to preach against this city. You all know what happens. Verse 3, but Jonah ran. Now, over the years, I've heard many, many sermons on this. And I've actually heard many misinterpretations. So let me try to set the record straight. Uh, Not that I'm defending Jonah, but a lot of bad stuff has been said about him that wasn't true. Jonah did not run away from the Lord so that he could go to the discotheque or run after the things of the world. It wasn't that he was backsliding or he was going after wrong stuff. There is a reason why Jonah is running. And he will later tell us exactly why he's running away. He's not running away for carnal reasons. He's running away because he knows what God wants to do. (laughs) He knows, all right, I I know how this is going to go down, Lord. You're going to send me there. I'm going to preach against them. They're going to repent, and you're going to forgive them. So I'm not going. Okay? That was the main line of reasoning. So he ran away from the Lord. Ever tried that one? Good luck. Good luck. Bible says even if you go down to the bottom of the ocean, he'll find you. I don't care where you run, you cannot hide from the Lord. The preachers of old refer to the Holy Spirit as the hound of heaven. Man, he will will stay hot on your heels wherever you run, wherever you go. God just relentlessly pursues us. But Jonah's got a plan. He ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now, I don't have time to go into all the geography today, but it is believed that Tarshish was at the other end of the world in Jonah's day. Many believe that it's somewhere in Spain, all the way at the other end of the Mediterranean Sea. Bottom line, Jonah wants to get as far away from his assignment as he possibly can. It'd be kind of like if God had called me to minister way down at the tip of South America in Argentina, and I said, you know what? I'm going to the North Pole. I'm going to get as far away from this as I can so that God can't use me, won't use me, and there won't be any problem. So he went down to Joppa. We heard about Joppa. You went there, right? Mm -hmm. Went down to Joppa, which is a nice seaport in Israel. Went down to Joppa where, and you know, it looks like God's really answering prayers for the prophet here. Everything's just working right out. He went down to Joppa, found a ship. Bound for Tarshish, he had the money to pay the fare. After he paid the fare, he went aboard, and bam, they're on their way to Tarshish. Success. Plan executed. I'm on my way to Tarshish, fleeing from the Lord. And one of the themes that you follow throughout the book of Jonah, God provides. We all like that, right? God provides. Tell the person next to you, God provides. Tell the person next to you, God will provide all my needs. He will not provide all that I want. He will provide all that I need. God repeatedly in this story provides everything that Jonah needs. Guess what Jonah needs next? 
He needs a storm. How many of you know God can provide a storm? Oh, yeah. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. This is not the devil. This is not global warming. This is not climate change. The Lord sent a storm. Okay? Next verse. And the sailors were afraid. I want you to get this picture. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. This guy's got peace. What's everybody worried about? He's having a nice, deep sleep. The captain went to Jonah and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. You know, you cast a lot. Who decides? God decides. They cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. Oh, my. It fell on Jonah. Just by coincidence. Huh. Interesting. Next verse. So they asked him, Tell us. Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? They already knew the answers. He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? Look at this. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Good job, Jonah. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Now, follow me here. Jonah, remember, is a sign of Christ. Not just the three days. That's not the only similarity in the story. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Who's making the sea wilder? Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Stop there. As far as they're concerned, they are killing Jonah. Jonah is a sacrifice. He is going to lay down his life in the waters so that they can have peace, so that they can have calm. What a beautiful picture of Jesus. But notice, the reason Jonah said, throw me into the water, is he was bearing the blame. He says, I'm the one at fault here. Let me bear this blame and take it into the water. They took him, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. For great reason, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Jehovah Jireh. Here he comes again. But the Lord 
provided. Tell the person next to you, the Lord provides. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish (coughs) three days and three nights. Now, let's go back just very quickly. A couple of things jump out at me in this story. Go back to verse 5. You have to picture this ship. It's about to break in pieces because of the storm. And obviously, there's a mixed multitude of people on board this ship. And it says they were all afraid and each cried out to his own God. I was reading this several weeks ago, and it's like all of a sudden I wasn't looking at the page of the Bible anymore. I could just see America. I could see this nation. We are just like that. If you can picture that, that's the state that this nation and many other nations are in now. We are in the middle of a storm that is about to tear us apart. And everyone's crying out to his own God. Confusion and fear. All calling on their own God. Hoping that their God will help them. Did their gods help them? Absolutely not. Did their gods calm their fears? Absolutely not. Are all the gods that America is crying out to now, are they helping America? The gods of money? The gods of sex? The gods of pornography? The gods of greed? The gods of lying and corruption? Are they helping us out? I don't think so. Each one crying out to his own God. We have invented so many different religions now, it isn't funny. And a nation like America that was once founded on Christian principles where you were not only very happy to go up to someone and say, Merry Christmas, now it's happy holidays. They got Xmas trees over there. Now most of the advertisers, they're even afraid to mention the name, and they have all these ads now, especially the cars, brother. They're, they're having the winter sales event. Winter sales event. How many of you are celebrating ice and snow? Huh? Yeah, it's a great celebration, isn't it? The winter celebration. What a bunch of foolishness. How far we've gone away from the truth. How far we've gone away from what made this nation and many other nations in the world great. Now we're calling on all kinds of gods. Happy holidays. I don't even know what that means. Happy holidays. No. Merry Christmas. Jesus Christ came. He was born. He died. And he rose on the third day. That's what we celebrate. I don't celebrate holidays. Each crying out to his own God. My Bible says there's one God. And one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. One God, one mediator. If you want to try plan B, plan C, or plan F, good luck. God has plan A, period. I am the way, Jesus said, the truth and the life. No one, help me here, what's no one? No one can come to the Father but through me. Not through Buddha, not through Allah, not through any other kind of false god, but through Jesus Christ, the one mediator that God gave for mankind. He kept it real simple. 
We've made it complicated. Calling on all kinds of different gods. There's one God and there's one mediator. Salvation is found in no one else. What's no one else mean? No one else. Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There is no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved. I'm so glad I can call on the name of Jesus. I'm not calling on any other names. When I'm in a a storm, when my ship is about to go down, you can call on whomever you want. I'm calling on Jesus. Jesus, 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 help me, save me, rescue me, deliver me. Jesus, I will call on your name. Such confusion in that boat. Remember, Jonah's having a nice long sleep. And the captain has to go to him and ask, how can you sleep? Listen to this carefully. Get up and call on your God. You know what the Lord also showed me in this little vision? The church is asleep in the ship. We're down in the bottom of the boat sleeping. And the storm is getting wilder and wilder. And it's about to break the whole thing in pieces. And we're sleeping. And even the heathen are saying, get up. Pray fast. Call on your God. We're about to go down. A heathen man had to come to Jonah and say, would you wake up? Would you pray? Would you call on your God? Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Now, I'm not going to comment too much on the details of Jonah inside the fish. That's a sermon for another time. But suffice it to say, I believe it really happened. I believe these were three literal days, three literal nights, a literal fish, and he was inside the fish. I don't have any trouble believing that. And in Jonah chapter 2, you find Jonah's prayer from inside the fish. Let me tell you something. If you've never prayed in your life, you will when you're inside a fish. You will. And it's a beautiful prayer. We're not going to read it, but study it on your own. Fantastic prayer he prays with seaweed wrapped around his head. I don't know what was going on in there. I mean, you can use your own imagination, but the digestive juices and the gurglings and the bubblings and the other fish that had already been swallowed that were partially digesting inside the stomach, let your imagination run wild. It wasn't pleasant. And remember, he's a sign of Jesus Christ. It was like death. And in his prayer, he he talks like he had already sunk down into hell. His life was ebbing away. He was finished. And then, amazingly, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Next verse. From inside the fish, (laughs) Jonah prayed. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed. Now, go down to verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah not into the sea some people overlook this this is an even more interesting miracle how does a fish who's in the ocean vomit a prophet back onto the land there are lots of miracles in this story the Lord commanded the fish I find that fascinating the Lord commanded the fish did you know fish obey God prophets don't some of you missed that God commanded the prophet, he disobeyed. God commanded the fish, the fish obeyed. 
commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jesus said, just as Jonah spent those three days and three nights inside the fish, so the Son of Man, and of course, the whole resurrection is implied, will spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, not to remain a corpse, but to come back alive. Just the way Jonah, as a sign, was resurrected from the dead. By the way, there was a video that went absolutely viral on the internet about a week or two ago about a man who was at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean in a sunken ship for three days and three nights. How many of you saw it? Just a coincidence, right? And I'm already working on this sermon, and then this thing hits me one day on the internet. A man at the bottom of the Atlantic rescued after three days and three nights? I got to see this. If you didn't hear the story, basically what happened, a ship sank off the coast of Africa, and there were 12 crew members, 11 of them died, and this 12th man, he's a Nigerian man, he's a believer, and the the ship literally sank all the way to the ocean floor, the Atlantic Ocean floor, okay? Okay. And the South Africans sent a team of divers in there to recover the dead bodies from the wreckage. That's all. They didn't even get to the ship until three days later. And these divers, they wear little cameras on their helmets. And that's why this thing really went crazy on the Internet a couple weeks ago, because they finally released those videos from their little helmet cams. And you actually see this diver coming up, in the water of this ship and lo and behold there's a little air pocket in one of the compartments and there's a man in there alive and the diver freaks out more than the man does and he's up to his neck in very very cold water remember he hasn't been able to drink any fresh water for three days three nights and his eyes are like saucers and the the diver freaks out and We come to find out for three days that man was praying, quoting scriptures, reciting psalms. The Lord will rescue me. The Lord will deliver me. Let me tell you something. The God of Jonah still lives. The God of Jonah still lives. And they had to give him water to drink and they had to suit him up with a diving suit. Because remember, the only way back to the surface is the way they came into the boat. So they had to take him all the way back up to the surface. And the man survived to tell his story. Three days and three nights at the bottom of the ocean. Can God do it? Absolutely. Now, in Jonah 3.1, maybe Jonah's ready to obey the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Time. Stay, stay on verse 1 for a minute. I could preach a whole sermon on this. I don't know about you, but I see something very amazing about God here. If I were God, and thank God I'm not God, I would have provided the fish, commanded him to eat Jonah, and digest him. Finished. I'll find another man to do the job. How many of you understand one of God's qualities? He's long-suffering. I like that word. Long-suffering. He suffers long with us. He suffers long. Modern translators translate that word patience. 
patience doesn't tell it. Long suffering. God is going to suffer long with this dude. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Now, you and I better not gamble on getting a second chance. We better not. But my experience is very often he gives you one. You screw up once, he gives you another turn. You fail first grade, you go back and repeat it until you can pass the tests. Then you go to second. And I see something very amazing about God's heart for Jonah here. The word of the Lord comes to him a second time. Same old word, same message. Verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Same deal, same commandment. And we can only speculate, but, you know, the fish and the cruise to Tarshish and all that, it didn't need to happen if Jonah had obeyed the first time. But God makes all things work together for good. And so even his disobedience, which led to him being swallowed by the fish and spending three days and three nights in there, ended up being something that Jesus could use and say, look, Jonah was a sign just as the Son of Man is going to spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. All right, let's move on. What's his message? He obeyed the word of the Lord, went to Nineveh. Nineveh was a very important city. We've already read this. A visit required three days. All right, what's his message? On the first day, Jonah started into the city. Here's his message. This is all that's recorded in the Bible. This is all we know about what he preached. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Note a couple of things. There's no mention whatsoever about God. Maybe he mentioned it. I don't know. It's not recorded. He doesn't give them a seven-step plan to salvation. (laughs) He doesn't tell them to fast or pray or even to repent. He just announces, man, you got 40 days left, period. Look at the next verse. This just jumped off the pages when I read it a few weeks ago. The Ninevites, what? Believed Jonah? Believed the message? No, believed God. Something supernatural seems to be going on here. Jonah says, dudes, you got 40 days left. They believed in God. Remember, Jesus said, these are the people that are going to rise up in the last day and condemn all of us that know so much. If that's all they heard, and they believed God, man, there's something special about these people. And you know what? It's so much easier to preach to heathen than to church to people. Oh, yeah, very easy. I've had the privilege of speaking to people that have never heard about Jesus in their life. It's so easy. They're so interested. They're so amazed to hear the story. You get a hold of some churched person. Oh, no, no, no. I know all that. Can't believe that Bible. It's full of inaccuracies and errors. I can't believe any of that. They believed God. Remember, faith without works is what? Dead. Was their faith dead? They believed God, and they went right to work. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. That was always a sign of humbling themselves of repentance before God. Who told them to do that? I don't know. Next verse. 
When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Follow this carefully. Let everyone what? Call urgently on their gods, on God, 